Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading today is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. It's found on page 910 of your Pew Bible. Before we read, let us pray. God of mercy and light, as we could to these ancient words, let us hear your living word, that it might live in us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Let us listen for the word of God. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You know, when you get to the people part and you're supposed to move them around like that, it makes the people look very nervous. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for that. In Barbara Kingsolver's marvelous novel, Poisonwood Bible, she tells the story of Nathan Price who packs up his wife, Orleana, and their four daughters, and they head to the jungles of what was then called the Congo. Nathan is a fundamentalist evangelist and his plan is to save Africa. It doesn't go well. They arrive at the airport to discover that Pan American Airlines will only allow 44 pounds of luggage per passenger. They have way overpacked. So they begin removing clothing and other items from their luggage to reduce the weight. They don't throw it away. They just add it to themselves. They just layer. They just layer and layer and layer. So by the time they finish, each of the, each of the girls and Nathan himself were wearing like six pair of clothes and, and an all-weather coat. And in the pockets, they've 
they've carried everything from tools to Bibles. They, they recognize that the airline will weigh the luggage, but not the passengers. They can't let this stuff go. And who can blame them? We all want to get away from home sometimes. But if we thought we were leaving forever, we'd want to take as much home with us as we could. I think that's why I noticed the nets more this time than ever before. This passage that Tedrick read for us, I've preached on this passage more than any other single passage. Not by intent, I just have in the time that we have been in ministry together. But more than any other time, I notice this time the nets. Jesus comes up to the fishermen and he invites them on a road trip, destination unknown. Jesus tells them that it'll change them. They will come to understand their place and purpose in the world differently. He says, you've always assumed you were fishermen, but I can give you a life that's defined by people. He said, follow me and you'll get that life. And immediately they drop their nets and they go. Now, there's a lot about this story I would like to know that Mark is silent about. Had, had these guys had conversation, had they had coffee with Jesus before? Is this their first encounter? Surely they had questions. Finally, exactly where are you going? Uh, how long is this trip going to take? Do, do you think I've got the right shoes? They had to have had questions about this. Mark is silent on all of these details. So I find it interesting that he takes time to tell us about the nets. Because the truth of the matter is, the story would read fine without it. It would read fine just to say, Jesus said, come and follow me, and immediately they went with him and followed. Following seems to be the point. So I tell us about, they dropped their nets. If I understand the text, I... I think it's teaching us that in order to follow Jesus, we're going to have to let go of some things. In order to follow Jesus, there's some things we might have to leave behind. Frederick Beekner had a different experience. Beekner was a Presbyterian pastor. His ministry was writing, really. He's the author of 39 books. There books of sermons or fiction or spiritual memoir. He once wrote, to say that one has become a Christian makes it sound like some accomplishment on our part, like I became a millionaire. He said, for me, I found it more as a lucky break, a step in the right direction. For Beekner, faith just happens almost by surprise. It's a lucky break. That's the grace of it. I understand what he means. There are times in my life when I feel that way as well. But Mark speaks of a more intentional journey to really get on this road trip with Jesus. It seems some things have to be left behind. There's some things we have to let go of. Uh, some assumptions, maybe, 
about ourselves, some assumptions about what matters most in the day. If I understand the text, to say they drop their nets is more than say they're dropping the tools of their labor. It's not saying they change their vocation. No, it's a way of rediscovering their place and purpose in the world. They were fishermen. That's what it says. If you'd asked them, who are you? They would have said, we're fishermen. But what is a fisherman without his nets? I think Jesus is saying, there's a you that I know that you don't know yet, and that's who I want to show you. But I think to see that you, you might need to leave some of these things behind. And that's not easy. It is not easy. It was about 35 years ago, I was arranging a garage sale for my mother. If you have ever managed a garage sale, you know how tedious and exhausting and and emotional it can be, and you end up making about 35 cents an hour. My mother in her mid-50s suffered a disabling stroke. It was no longer wise for her to live in her home. We had to downsize, and because of the stroke, it was my job to pick items of her home to carry to the garage that they might be prepared for the sale. To get to the garage, I had to pass through the kitchen. My mother got herself a cup of coffee and sat down at the kitchen table and surveyed every trip. And I would walk through, and she just put her hand up and said, nope, keeping that, put it back. So I'd go put it back, and I'd try to find something else. I'd walk through the kitchen, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'd put that back, find something else. That's not going to do. I'd been at this of about an hour, and the only thing I had successfully gotten into the garage to sell were some old National Geographic magazines, and she was still thinking about those, right? So I finally said to her, I said, Mom, look, this is not going to work. This is not working. You need to go in the living room. Here's $40. I'm going to fill the garage, and when it's ready, you come in the garage, you can buy back $40 of your own stuff. She said, deal, and that's what we did. I never knew how hard my mom could haggle until we got to that garage sale. But look, I had no idea what was going on. I was young. I didn't know what was going on. I thought we were just downsizing. But I realized she was leaving life behind to a journey of a destination unknown, and it takes courage. I I thought I was just carrying some books out that would sell two for a dollar. But she knew they were going because she would never read again. I could carry out all of her serving dishes because she would never host a dinner party again. That old crib that she had up in the attic, that could go. She was saving it for her yet unborn grandchildren, but she would never be able to watch them overnight, not anymore. What she was leaving behind was the way she had understood herself to be in the world. It was painful and it required amazing courage. 
So if it's so hard, and I think it is, if it's so hard for us to leave who we think we are behind to follow Jesus, why would he ask that of us? Why is that so important? We're in the season of Lent, and traditionally, Lent is a time when we focus on what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the cost of discipleship. Our faith, our faith is to shape our lives, all of our choices, our relationships, how we spend our money, how we vote, where we live, all of our choices are to be shaped and informed by our faith, our trust that we are God's children, that the love of God calls and claims us is to inform how we move about this world. It is to be a source of joy for us even in difficult days. It is the truth that grounds us in a chaotic world. It is our north star, and it right-sizes us in life. It shows us God's intent for who and how we are to be. And, and, and sometimes Beekner's right. Sometimes that comes just as a lucky break. But more often than not, I think we have to let some things go. I, I think we may have to let go of some injuries, some hurt. We may have to let go of some dreams. We may have to let go of the way the world defines us and take on a new understanding of what really matters today and every day. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says it this way. He says, when Jesus calls one to come and follow, he calls them to come and die, to leave behind what you thought mattered most. I, I don't know that my grandmother ever read Bonhoeffer, but she would have loved him. My grandmother was a walking, talking, living, breathing season of Lent all the time. Her faith was strong, but she was most drawn to the idea of sacrifice. As a middle schooler, I was a huge Atlanta Braves fan. That was before I moved here and learned to love the Royals. Now, there was one so, uh, summer Sunday, I, I was w at my grandmother's house, and the Atlanta Braves were supposed to play the Dodgers, the evil, evil Dodgers, on television, on national television. And in these days, this was a rare thing. And so I asked my grandmother, can I please, please, please watch the ball game on TV? And she said, no, this is the Lord's day. It's not a day for watching games. I evidently was persistently annoying. Please, please, oh, please, please, please. And my grandmother, before I just wore her down to death, she finally relented, and she said to me, okay, as long as you promise not to enjoy it. <laughs> I said, well, they're in the cellar. That's a promise I can keep. Uh, sometimes this faith, this 
Take up your own cross. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. uh, Forgive 70 times 7. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy kind of faith. Seems to be one long march of sacrifice. As if Jesus says, come and follow me and let us be miserable. Why would Jesus do that? In short, and I don't have time to say much about it today, so I'll be short. I don't think he does. I don't think that's it at all. Fifteen years ago, my friend Brant Tidwell, he invited me to go with the scouts here, Troop 91, to go on their canoe camping trip in Quetico, the Boundary Waters area. My son was in the troop at the time, and Brant said it would be a good experience for for Nathan and I to share together. I knew he was right, but I didn't want to go. I don't camp. I don't like to camp. I've always felt I was roughing it a little bit if I was anywhere that didn't require leaving a tip. I don't like sleeping on the ground. There they make mosquitoes that are larger than some of your small pets. And Brant told me, among other skills that I would learn, I would learn how to hang my food in the tree so that when the bears come, they won't eat the food. I said, well, that sounds fun. (laughs) But I love my son and I love Brant, so against my better judgment, I went. And I've been back 15 times. And I plan to take my family again this August. Why? I discovered a part of myself that I didn't know before. I discovered a beauty that I hadn't seen elsewhere. And I'm not just talking about nature. I'm talking about what happens to me and us while we're there. There's something holy about conversation around the fire when there's nothing else to do but have conversation around the fire. And there's a gracious kind of humility when you sit beneath the stars or face the strength of nature. And there's a right-sizing that makes you feel both at the same time humble and significant. I think that's why Jesus calls us to follow. It's a call that never stops. It's a journey that never ends. Now, I don't have time today to talk more about what it is we might need to leave behind, but I bet you have an idea about that yourself. And I don't have time to talk about exactly what it is we might discover on the way, but I bet you have an idea about that as well. Today, I just want to say that Jesus calls us to follow even when it's hard, not for sacrifice's sake. Why does he call us to do the hard thing? For the same reason he does everything else, because he loves you, and he wants you to find you. So he'll never stop asking. Come and follow. I want to show you you. Come, because I love you. 
Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.